you're praying. Turn with me to Ephesians 5. Hey, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll be glad to put a Bible in your hand. If you need a Bible, you can keep this Bible. We want to make sure everyone has the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 5. We're working our way through. We've come to um, the fifth chapter here. We only have one more chapter after the fifth chapter, so we're cruising right along. Have you enjoyed the Ephesians study? We've been looking at the marks of a healthy church, and it's not just a healthy church. As we talked about, a church is made up of a bunch of little temples called you and me, because we are the temple of the living God. I mean, each of us uh, have been given uh, the capacity to God to indwell us, and as we are healthy, then you put us all together together. And collectively, you have a healthy church, just like you want to have a healthy family. In our family, there's five of us. We want all five to be healthy physically, but even more importantly, we want all five to be healthy spiritually. There's not a time of, hey, you know, a four out of five is pretty good odds, right? Do you say that with your family? No, you want all of you to be walking in the Lord and walking in His grace. And so that's what we've been looking at. So here in chapter 5, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. I'll start with verse 1 here. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk, key word there, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking, well, that eliminates a lot of Twitter, anyway, nor coarse jesting. We don't use jesting anymore, but anyway, joking, you can say there. Which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience, therefore do not be partakers with them. Father, we bow before you this morning. We are so thankful that you've given us your word as a lamp unto our feet, as a guide for our life. Lord, we open it. Every single person here needs these seven verses and every other verse in Scripture. I need them. Lord, as, as I'm sharing, I pray that you would teach me by your spirit, Lord, Lord, we all need you in this room more than we can possibly comprehend. You said apart from you we can do nothing. And so we ask, Lord, that you would drive out any distractions, anything that would quench the work of your spirit here this morning in us, in this room. Lord, we pray that we'd hear crystal clear from you. And, Lord, we'd apply it, that we'd grow in your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what does it mean to walk? I walk on the stage. I know I probably walk more than, you know, Pastor Randy's up there. I've, I've watched this. He, st he stays nice right in here, you know. But not me. You know, I walk around a lot, and I do that everywhere I go. So but what does it mean to walk? It means to take some steps, right? You're taking steps. You're moving in a specific direction. But why are we walking? Where are we going? What's in our mind and what's in our hearts as we're walking? Everywhere you're walking, you know you're always thinking. You can't walk through Kroger or down the street. Your mind is always thinking. You're not just walking, but you're thinking as you're walking. Sometimes people are aimlessly walking, but yet they're still thinking, like, why am I walking? Where am I going? Am I window shopping? What in the world am I looking for? Not really going anywhere in particular, but yet they're still walking. They're still moving. Ever see a person, you can tell by the way they're walking that they don't want anyone to speak to them. You can tell that just by the way they're walking. New York City, that's about 90% of the people, right? I have somewhere to get to, do not interrupt me. Or someone giving off that vibe that they dare you to speak with them. Or someone could be walking to a place they really shouldn't be walking to, and yet they're walking there anyway, Right? God sees the walk of our life. You know, it's interesting um, why God uses the word walk, too. And it's all through Scripture. You'll see the word walk a lot in Scripture. Paul uses it constantly here in the book of Ephesians. Walk, walk, walk. 
You'll see it in the next cut. It's in the next section. It's in the week after. He continues to mention this word walk. And I was thinking, you know, walk is something that marks consistency. You walk every day. You walk to the refrigerator. You walk to your bathroom. You walk to the shower. You have to walk. But you, I like to run, but I don't run everywhere. When I see parents and families roll up to church, sometimes the kids get out and run to the modulars. I've yet to see mom and dad run to the door here. Hey, let's skip even, you know? I've yet to see it. Now, if some of you do it, we'll film it, and you'll make yourself on a future church video or something. But I've, I've watched adults for years, and I've never seen, you know, I've been to business meetings back when I was in the business world. I never saw guys get out of the car and let's, let's run to the meeting. And yet kids do that lunchbox to the bus and everything else. Why? Because as you have maturity, walk is the consistency of everything in your life. It's walking, walking one step after the other. You know, when we walk, God wants us to walk in the Spirit, as we've been talking about. And when we walk in the Spirit, we will walk in love. And that's what we're looking at this morning, walking in love. Love. God wants us to walk in his love. And that's a purposeful walk. That's an intentional walk. That's a walk that will certainly benefit us personally, but it'll also benefit other people. Can you imagine if all of America walked in love? Just think about that in light of our country. And not just now, over the last 200 years, over the last 6,000 plus years of recorded human history, if the world walked in love, just imagine how different things would be. But Paul opens this up in verses 1 and 2. We want to start there. And something I've titled, Our Aim. You know, when we walk, we're going in a direction, and we, we certainly want to have an aim. And uh, I know when I walk, I want to walk like Jesus. I want to walk in a way that pleases Him. I don't want to walk in a way that honors Him. And so he starts in this first verse here of chapter, one, chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God. As dear children, you know, we don't just imitate God. We have a personal relationship. We're his dear children. We're very important to God. Those of us who have come to Christ, we've been born again. We've been born into the family of God. We've saw this throughout the book of Ephesians, and that's why we're a church family. We're not a church corporation. We're not a church business. We're a church family because we are the sons and daughters of God. We're the children of God. What did he call Israel? He called them the children of Israel because they're a family. We're a family. This has always been God's desire is that all of those that call upon his name would be part of his family. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I go to my Father's house to prepare a place for you. And so we're his children, but yet even though we're his children, we're called to be imitators here. Now before sin... Mankind was created in the image of God. You go back to Genesis chapter 1, you'll see that mankind was created in the image of God. Not identical to God. Would you all agree we're not identical to God? Okay, clear, right? It doesn't take a whole lot of rocket scientists to figure out we're not identical to God. But we're created in His image, created in His image to represent Him and to relate to Him in a personal relationship. Do your children relate to you? Yes, they're related to you, but more than that, they have a relationship with you. And that's why he says his dear children, we're called to relate. We're called to have this uh, imitation of God. It's just like the moon is a sphere. By the way, the moon's in the news a lot right now. And so is the sun, right? And by uh, that, so is the earth, because they're kind of all three getting in alignment tomorrow. Everybody ready for the eclipse? Do not look up. We want you to be able to see worship lyrics of the future. So unless you have the right glasses and don't buy the fake ones. and I'm just going to look down and be okay with less light. But anyway, <laughs> I kind of like my eyesight. But just like the moon is a sphere, same as the sun. Both of them are a sphere, right? The moon is a sphere. The sun is a sphere. They both appear as perfect circles in the sky to us. From the distance we see them, they look like perfectly round circles. Their shapes are similar but their materials are very, very different, aren't they? The sun produces light. It's a source of light, and it sends light out in all directions. Every direction the sun is sending light. The moon does not produce light, nor does it send light in every direction. 
It's actually dark on one side of the moon. The moon is dwarfed by the sun, absolutely dwarfed by the sun. Several million moons could fit in the sun. Several million can fit in the sun. Size-wise, there's no comparison. And just by, and imagine, imagine placing the moon inside the sun's core. What do you think would happen? It would be incinerated and vaporized immediately. The melting point for a solid substance, you know, those of you that like chemistry or you like uh, science, the melting point for a solid substance is a little over 7,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Well, the sun's core is 27 million degrees. That'll kind of take care of any solid subjects, won't it? And that's just a, by the way, that's just a hint of God's power, isn't it? Just a hint of his power. Can you imagine? We can't make anything to go 27 million degrees. And that's just a, a hint of the power and authority of God. And yet, the, and yet the moon is positioned in the right place. It's placed in the right relationship. It has the right alignment with the sun. And the moon is not incinerated by the sun. It rather reflects the sun, and it reflects the sun's glory, doesn't it? Night after night, year after year, month after month. And so we're called to do in our Christian life to be reflectors of God, to be reflectors of his son, Jesus. The moon is no substitute for the sun, is it? The moon can never be a substitute for the sun. But it will always reflect and depend on the sun, always. The moon will always be in a dependent relationship to the sun. And so it is with us. This is our calling, brothers and sisters. This is our calling in our Christian life to be reflectors of his son. This is our calling to be in alignment with God, to be in submission to him as children are to parents, to imitate and reflect his character with the help of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do this on our own, can we? By the way, the moon can't do what it do unless God made it all work, right? And God's the one that will make it all work in us, too. He makes it all work. He makes all the angles, all the degrees in your life. He understands how to position you to reflect Jesus. But you have to want to reflect Jesus. You have to say, Lord, I want to be in the right position. I want to be there to reflect you. That's intentional. He's asking us to do something, but he's also making it clear we need the help of his Holy Spirit. And what's at the forefront of the light and the character we're to reflect? It's God's love. This is at the forefront of what he wants us to reflect. Look what it says. And walk in what? Love. Walk in love. For God so loved that he gave. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And here in, here in verse um, 2, and all the way, really in the whole text, but specifically here in verse 2, we see the power of love, we see the pattern of love, and we see the perfume of love. The power of love, the pattern of love, and the perfume of love. Look at the verse as we go through. What is love defined here? And walk in love as Christ. The greatest definition of love is Jesus Christ. Walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. God's love is manifested brighter than 100 trillion suns. Think about it. Can you imagine you put 100 trillion suns together? God's love is still brighter than that. The universe is dwarfed by the love of God. The universe is dwarfed by the person of Jesus who can hold the universe in the very nail-pierced palm of his hand. Here we see that Jesus gave himself. First, first God gave the Son, right? God sent his only begotten Son, but Jesus gave himself. And by the way, the Father giving the Son and the Son giving himself tells us something about the identical nature of God the Father and God the Son. In fact, Jesus isn't just identical to God. He is God. Amen? 
Jesus, this is, by the way, that's a big difference between us and Jesus. Jesus doesn't reflect the Father. He's equal to the Father. We reflect. Amen? Jesus is not the moon. Jesus and the Father are one together along with the Holy Spirit. But he's God come in human flesh. Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Notice the description of the love of God. And it's displayed here in Jesus. The pattern. You know, we understand that the pattern is that we're to walk in love. But what, what does that look like? Well, it's an offering. It's a sacrifice. We talked about what a sacrifice is a couple of week, uh, weeks ago. Sacrifice is giving up something we love or something we enjoy for something more important. Jesus considered your soul and my soul more important than staying on the throne, even though he had every right to stay on the throne. He gave it up for a period of time because he considered our souls so important. A sacrifice, it's a surrender. It's a willingness. If someone makes you do it, it's not a sacrifice, right? Someone made, oh man, they made me go serve in children's ministry. That's not a sacrifice. There'll be no credit for that. They made me go help cut the grass. Yeah, we can't make adults do that, by the way. But you can make kids do that. Many a teen doesn't feel like that is a calling in their life, right? <laughs> to cut the grass. Doesn't feel like something that they really should be doing. God wants us to die to our own self, die to our will, sacrifice for the Lord. And when we do, it's a sweet-smelling aroma to God. It says here that when Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice to God, it was a sweet-smelling aroma. Now, this is actually pointing back to the time of the temple and the tabernacle because when the priesthood would lay a sacrifice on the altar, they would also have incense, and it would go up, and it would be a sweet aroma. By the way, you didn't have to have incense. Someone barbecued on the grill seems like a sweet aroma, right? Hope you're not hungry. But anyway, God wants our lives as we are spiritual barbecue to be a sweet-smelling aroma that people are attracted to. You know, when people are grilling out, they want to if, if you were giving away free hamburgers, they'd want to come. And our lives should be a sweet attraction. And Jesus is saying through the Holy Spirit and Paul here that God gave himself. He sacrificed, but that's a sweet aroma not only to God, but actually will attract others as well. And this is how we're to walk. We're to go lower, and we're to continue to go lower, and we're to love more and go lower again. As we grow, the lower we go. A love for God that says, yes, Lord, a love that is tangible. You know, real love is tangible. Love is not just some word. You see the commercials. Love is all, you know, you, you see these commercials uh, that Madison Avenue comes up with, and it's always this wonderful feeling. No, 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 no. Love is like sitting in a hospital holding someone's hand who is dying. When is that going to be the commercial? It's two people walking blissfully on the beach, and they look like they're in the prime of health. Don't you see the wedding vows? For better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, right? Real love is like changing a diaper at 3 a.m. when you're exhausted, right? That's what love is. It's, and so Jesus is saying that real love, it was dirty, the cross, sacrifice. And our love for people is tangible. God's going to look and say, did you roll up your sleeves? Did you get your arms dirty? Did you get your hands dirty? Well, I did for my own kids. What about the rest of planet Earth? Well, I didn't have time for anybody else. It's going beyond just ourselves. Jesus said he went well beyond the throne of heaven to the whole world, to the uttermost. It's to love our, how about this? It's to love our enemies. Real love isn't just saying, well, I love people that agree with me. You'll never have any impact on the world for Jesus Christ if you only love people that agree with you. Guess what? If you love Jesus, most of the world doesn't agree with you. So you're going to have to have a love that transcends our own abilities. 2 Corinthians 5.14, 
I love Paul says, he says, for the love of Christ compels us. What does the love of Christ compel you to do? What is it compelling you to take on or put down or lay aside? The love of Christ compels us. It only compels us, it propels us, doesn't it? The love of God propels me past fear. For perfect love, this is what the scriptures say, cast out what? Fear. What are we afraid of? We're afraid that our things won't be perfect. We're afraid that we won't have everything the way we like it. We were afraid that people will reject us. We're afraid that things will go badly. And God says, if you love me, I'll start to melt that stuff away. I'll melt it away. Not immediately. Some people give up because it doesn't happen to me. They say, well, I tried that. How long did you try? I tried it for about a week. Did you ever try and grow like a fruit tree in a week? Because we're told that we would bear what? Fruit. I don't know if you have ever tried to plant a peach seed, but it's going to be a while before everything comes into full production, right? And that's what God's doing with us. But we take these steps now. We say, Lord, we talk about walking. One step after another, Lord, I'm going to start to walk, roll up my sleeve, sacrifice, because we have to have this same aim to walk in love. 1 John 4.19, we love him because he what? First loved us. We can love other people because he first loved us. Him and everyone else, it starts first with God. If God is the centerpiece, if Jesus is the cornerstone of our love life, we will love beyond ourselves. And it will become more and more sacrificial, which is a sweet aroma to God. Let's look at the next section of our text this morning. If you're taking notes, our admonition. Takes a little bit what might seem like a hard turn here. Talking about love, talking about walking in the love of God. And then look at verse 3. But fornication, what? I thought this was a beautiful description of our walk of love in the Lord. You know, Jesus came and died a horrific death to wipe out a lot of horrific sin, didn't he? It took a bloody, difficult, I can't comprehend kind of death to knock out trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of sins that were against us, that still are against anyone that's not been saved and been born again. And look what Paul says here. But fornication, all uncleanness, or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting in the saints. He's saying, hey, that stuff is the old days. You, you used to walk this way. You can't walk this way anymore. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. A walk of love is always also marked co-equally by a walk of truth. Does that make sense? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but he's also the perfect manifestation of love. He never sacrifices love for truth, and he never sacrifices truth for love. They're two sides of the same coin. Those of us who really love God will walk in truth. The life of Jesus was as pure and sinless as his love was matchless. It was just as pure and sinless as his love was matchless, and even though we will not be sinless... Until the day we enter into heaven for eternity, the pattern of our life in Christ should be radically different and should be maturing since we came to Christ. Amen? The love of God can only flow, not a little drop. By the way, Jesus said, out of you will flow, flow rivers of living water. He didn't say, out of you will be a drop. Out of you will be a little drop that might affect one person in your entire lifetime. No, he said, out of you would flow rivers of living water. Now, a flowing river can actually nourish a field, cattle, people, but a little drop doesn't do a whole lot for everybody. But he says, no, no, no. Out of you, the love of God can flow, and it will flow in and through, of, through us when we fully turn from those things that God calls sin, that God calls impure, that God calls destructive. Well, how do we know what they are? God has told us what they are. He's told us. He's given it to us in his word, in his commandments. We're to put off all the old ways and all the desires and replace them with the newness of our ministry and our calling to serve Christ in everything we say and do. 
everything we say and do. I love the verses and all that we do. And word and deed, even in food and drink, be to the glory of God. Amen? Everything. And Paul gets specific here on what, it needs, what needs to be stripped from our lives, what needs to be left behind, what needs to be refused with the help of the Holy Spirit. You know, we need the Holy Spirit's help to refuse these things, but nevertheless, we're to turn from these things as we lay hold of the cross, take it up, and follow Jesus. He gets very specific on what needs to go from our life. Verse 3 includes some some of the very behaviors that God warned the children of Israel many centuries earlier when he gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Some of these same things were given in the Ten Commandments. You'll recognize them. He starts off with fornication. What does that mean? He says, so, but fornication and all uncleanness, covetousness. So first one of fornication here. Uh, this is a commit to ending in your life, ending all forms of sexual immorality. All forms. Everything that God says is outside the bounds of holy matrimony has to go. This is one word that covers all the ways, all the ways mankind has veered from the purity of what God gave to Adam and Eve in the garden. And Jesus was clear on this as well. One husband, one wife, committed in marriage, and he specifically says, as it was from the beginning. So there's no confusion Abstain from everything else. Paul said that's, that's what you're called to do. You're called to walk in this purity. That's why he said, for some of you, it would be better to get married. That's what he wrote to the Corinthians here. It would be better to get married than to burn in lust. It would be better to get married. Don't play with the fire of immorality, Paul says. Be rid of it. Pornography, all the other different forms that we see. If we desire to be free from fornication and adultery and sexual sin, guess what? God will help us. Amen? Amen? He'll never ask us to do something he won't give us the power to do. We don't have to worry. I wonder, I wonder if God can help me with this area. He absolutely can. And by the way, this isn't just a problem for single people. Sadly enough, many American married people are as in bad a shape in this area as people that are not married. Nevertheless, Paul says, Everyone has to turn from this. This is Jesus' command. It's not a, it's not a well, if you, if, you, if you agree with me on this one, it's a non-negotiable. What about uncleanness? He says, uh, uh, no fornication, all uncleanness. What does that mean? Uncleanness means lust or impure motives. Impure motives. As Christians, we have to have pure motives. It can't be... Eh. I'm going to say this, but my real motive is this. By the way, lust is always an impure motive too, right? It's always about me. Lust is always about me, not about the other person. But impure motives. Ask God to help us to have pure thoughts and pure motives. Well, I have pure thoughts, but I don't have pure motives. You know, you have both. God wants us to have pure motives in all that we do. Philippians 4.8. Now, how do we, what is a good way to have pure thoughts and pure motives? I love what Paul wrote to the Philippians, Philippians 4, 8. Many of you know this verse. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Well, that wipes out. A ton of the cable channels. <laughs> a lot of social media. A lot of entertainment options at the theater. You can see that Paul's saying, if you really want to have pure thoughts and pure motive, you're going to have to meditate on pure things. Well, that list gets real small, doesn't it? It's okay for you to focus on a godly marriage, but start with Jesus. It's okay for you to focus on raising godly kids to start with Jesus. And the list is always going to stay small because there's not many righteous things on earth, but there's a plethora of unrighteous things on planet earth. What about covetousness? He says here, uh, uncleanness or covetousness. What does covetous mean? What is the biblical definition of covetousness? What well, means this? It means a greedy desire to have more. That's what covetous means, a greedy desire to have more. It's an insatiable desire to have more. 
We'll never have to learn, you'll never have to train yourself to lust or train your kids to lust or train them to be covetous. You were born lustful and covetous. I'm sorry if you're visiting. I'm not trying to offend you. This is our sin nature. You'll never have to learn to want, want, want. We're born with that. That comes painfully natural. We'll have to intentionally choose contentment. Did you hear that? We'll have to intentionally choose contentment. We have to cast a thought, the sigh. We have to cast a call. Let me try this again. We'll have to cast aside the thoughts that are disguised as needs. Let me say that one more time. We're going to have to cast aside the thoughts we think that we disguise for ourselves as needs. I really need this. Because I saw it at Costco. And I need it. Because this could improve my life drastically. And then we know, we get it, and it doesn't improve anything, does it? Matter of fact, we're like... Why did we ever get this? We've used it twice. They're disguised as needs. Christian, have you decided, have you decided to follow Jesus? Have you decided to be, if you just say, yes, I've decided to follow Jesus, let me ask you a follow-up question. Have you decided to be content? It's a decision. It's a choice. Say, Lord, just as I chose to follow you, I'm choosing August 20th, 2017, I'm choosing to be content. Now, help me by the Holy Spirit to stay there. Are you praying it? Are you praying, Lord, help me to be content. Help me to not be swayed by all the things my mind wants, 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 wants. Covetousness has been a problem in all of world history. Let none of these things, immorality, impure motives, greed in any way, he says, none of these things should be named among the saints. None of these things should be associated with our lives, should be associated with our reputation, and God forbid they're associated with the reputation of Calvary Chapel or Richmond. Sadly, you know, it's really sad that greed is actually used as a ministry philosophy now in parts of America and around the world. God, if you want, 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 then you're, when you're really spiritual, you're going to get, get, get. That is not true. It's not in Scripture. Paul's telling quite the opposite. He's saying, run from that. That's, that's the natural state of man. And yet it's the calling card of some ministry philosophies today. It's certainly not from the Lord. It's not from God. I'll leave it at that. Do we have needs? Of course we have needs. We absolutely have needs. Does God bless the things and give us things that are real needs? Yes. But he's not going to bless a covetous heart. Of course, we have to come to a place of saying, God, we need, we're praying for this. That he, he understands those things. He'll meet our family's need, but he's not in the business of meeting all of our wants. He wants us to help. He wants to help us that we can do what? We looked at last week, that we can help others. Others focused. Paul goes on. Neither filthiness. What is filthiness? It means obscenity. Very closely related to immorality and lust. So filthiness, obscenity, obscene in kind of the way we think or the way we're talking. He goes on, foolish talking. What is foolish talking? Foolish talking is saying anything you feel like saying. That's foolish talking. If I feel like saying it, I'm just going to say it. If I feel like tweeting it, I'm just going to tweet it. If I feel like Facebooking it, I'm just going to do it. Foolishness is just saying anything that comes in your mind and letting it come right out of your mouth. Uh, a godly person is a measured person. You measure your thoughts. I mean, you measure your words. Foolish talking. Without giving any weight to the consequences of what you're saying. That's foolish talking. What about coarse jesting? If you haven't used the word jesting in a while, I understand I haven't either. But, of course, joking. Does that help? Of course, joking. What does that look like? Of course, joking is malicious humor at the expense of another person. Boy, that's, we see a lot of that, don't we? A lot of satire at the expense of somebody else. Or it's crude 
and sexually immoral joking. Well, that wipes out a lot of comedians in America, too, doesn't it? And we're not to be that way. We're not to use our jokes to make fun of other people. It's not to be vulgar. It's not to be crude. Paul says, get away from it. Don't watch it. Don't listen to it. And certainly don't participate in it. The good news is, though, you know what I love about this verse? Well, it's all good. But uh, when it says, nor coarse joking, the good news is we actually have a New Testament passage that endorses clean humor. Because he says nothing about, he says, stay away from coarse joking. If you like humor, that's actually identified as valuable and healthy even in the Old Testament, also in Psalms and in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. But it has to be things that are pure, things that are actually humorous, but not in a crude or malicious way. We know that um, we know this for certain. A lot of the things that people laugh at, God's not laughing at. Things that a lot of people think are funny, God doesn't think are funny. And someday people will stand and give an account of things that they thought were so funny. Yesterday, I, I, perfect example of this. I was uh, going for, I, and kind of adding a little bit of runs into my walk as my hamstring is healing. So I was running a little bit, and my, I was listening to worship music with Matt Redman, and somehow my, I hit my hit the thing on the uh, iPod, and it went to a radio station. And when it went to a radio station, it was a coast-to-coast. -coast, I don't know how it went to the station, but it went to the station, and the very station it went to for that moment, where God just wanted me to hear it for just for a second as it was sermon material, I caught a national radio program simulcast coast-to-coast, -coast, and people were calling, and they were bragging about their sin. And the host the DJ out of New York City was laughing, and the sidekick gal was laughing, and the people on the other end were laughing. They were talking about, yeah, I was so drunk that I did this and that. And everyone was laughing about it. And immediately this came to my mind. I was like, these are things that people are laughing at today that they would not laugh at if they were in the presence of God. And we need to be careful what we call humor. With everything we remove, though, it has to be replaced with something godly, doesn't it? You can't just remove something. You have a vacuum. It will be refilled by the enemy if we don't replace it. And look what he says here. But you're not fitting, but rather giving thanks. We replace all this nonsense, which leads to worse than nonsense. It leads to out-and-out -out sin with giving thanks. Instead of using our mouth for foolish speech, use it for giving thanks and giving praise. A thankful mouth will reflect a thankful heart. Klein Snigress, he wrote a, uh, he wrote a um, commentary on the book of Ephesians. He said this. He says, Thanksgiving is an antidote for sin, for it is difficult to both give thanks and sin at the same time. You keep thanking God, you won't watch something that offends God. You keep thanking God, you won't say things that offend God. You keep thanking God, you'll actually think like God and say, where are people I can serve and help? A thankful heart, a thankful mouth. A person who's God-centered rather than self-centered will lay aside those things that displease the Lord. And our last thing we want to look at this morning as we come to a close here is our awareness. Our awareness, he says in verse 5, 6, and 7, for this you know, that no fornicator, unclean, person or covetous man who is an idolater has, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Hmm, this is a strong passage right here. This, this passage seems to debunk the inoculation of the sinner's prayer, doesn't it? Because the sinner's prayer is not salvation. We'll get into that in just a second. But let's see what Paul is saying here. He says, this you know. He's saying, in other words, there's no confusion in the matter. But just in case anyone is confused, know for certain that salvation, true salvation, a true work of the Spirit on the inside of a human being, has a living outward proof. A living outward proof. There should be enough evidence to convict you and me of a Christian. People should be able to say, I know a Christian, and you're one. People should be able to see it. But God knows who's truly changed at the end of the day. God truly knows the change of every heart. He knows who's been hit. It said that Jesus did not commit himself to everyone because he knew it was in a man. 
He didn't commit himself to every person. He knew some were following him, but weren't following him, if you know what that means, right? In other words, they were following him down the road, but they weren't following him in their hearts. And there wasn't going to be a permanent change in their life. If when you were younger, you thought Monopoly money was real, maybe you were five and you thought, hey, this is, I can go spend this. Go get myself a bazooka gum or something like that. That's the kind of stuff we got when I was a kid. So maybe you thought Monopoly money was real, but one attempt to buy something with it, and you were quickly informed that it was fake money. You can't buy anything with Monopoly money. And just because someone once said a sinner's prayer doesn't mean they've received genuine, eternal, life-giving salvation. See, Hasbro, it used to be Parker Brothers. Remember, Parker Brothers used to be the Monopoly producer, but now it's owned by Hasbro Company. Hasbro, Hasbro prints the Monopoly money, but it's the Bureau of Printing and Engraving that prints currency and legal tender. Big difference, right? Hasbro does not make your dollars that say Federal Reserve. The materials are different, and the source is different, right? Materials are different. The source is different. The source of our salvation is Jesus and his grace. The materials or the means of our salvation is faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. It's not just faith. Real faith has repentance. How do we know if we have real faith? Well, there will be an outward show. If you tell me that you believe this stool can hold you, then if I say, all right, we'll go ahead and sit on it. Well, I don't, no, I don't believe that much. You sure? You believe? No, well, not enough to sit on it. I believe in Jesus, not enough to lean on him for my salvation. See the difference? Faith is action. Faith is putting ourselves. He said, whoever falls on the rock will be broken. Whatever the rock falls on will be ground into powder. Have you fallen on the rock with genuine salvation? Jesus himself said, Matthew 7, 21, words of Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of God, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Notice what Jesus said. He didn't say, not everyone that thinks I exist. He went way beyond that. He said, not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord. Wow. He did not say everyone that says, hey, not everyone did a crucifix. Not everyone that uh, said a Hail Mary, not everyone that you know, went to church, not everyone that was baptized when they were two, not everyone that went on a youth retreat when they were 16 and had a moment but then didn't talk to God for the next 40 years, right? He goes way beyond that. He's talking about not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because Jesus is clear, the first step, and the will of the Father, he says, those that do the will of the Father. The first time in my life I did the will of the Father was when I said yes to Jesus, and I came and repented. That was the opening of the will of God. But then I have to continue for the rest of my life to walk in the will of God. Now, that's not keeping your salvation or earning your salvation. It's just walking in your salvation. Right? If you've received the real thing, if I gave you a real, I mean a real, $100 bill, would you light a match to it? No. You got the real thing. You're holding on to it. I have the real thing. If you have the real thing, we're going to hold on to it. We're going to believe and repent, and we believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. He lives within our hearts. Jesus in his ministry, and Paul here by the Spirit, wants us to be aware that a new creation means just that, new. A new creation is new. A new walk, a new desire to walk with God and to give him the throne of our hearts. And notice the list he says here in, in verses 5, 6, 7. No, but this you know, no fornicator, unclean person, covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. I've said, I've heard Christians many times say, you know, I know that they accepted Jesus. Okay, when? Well, they were 16. Well, how, how's, how's their walk with Christ? Well, they're living with their girlfriend and they're doing this and they're doing that and they're doing this and they... Well, they, do they have any desire? Oh, they hate church. Uh, do, they want, do they ever pray? Well, they haven't prayed in 25 years, but they did say that prayer. I'm like, I, I hate to break it to you, but you need to be praying that God really opens their eyes because that's not a picture of salvation. If they're saved, then so is everybody else, right? So is everybody else. 
Paul is saying, this you know. Anyone who walks this way, they're still in fornication. They're still living an unclean life. They're still living a covetous life. They're still full of idolatry. He's like, Paul's like, I'm not their judge. I'm just telling you the Holy Spirit wants you to know this for your admonition and warning. The word, you know, admonition was our previous, is warning. Paul says, I want you guys to be aware. Don't let anyone deceive you with empty works, empty words. He wants us to know these things. This lifestyle has not been made new. If someone's living that way, there was a way I used to live before saved. If I still live that way, would you, would you want to hear me preach? If I lived the way I was still living in Miami as a 20-some-year-old, I'd be preaching a totally different message. It would be all about fun, right? But it wouldn't have anything about Jesus. It has to be new. The things of this life are what? Pride of life and idolatry. That's what this world is made of. It's what it's built on. But the warning here is clear and firm. And he goes on in verse 6, don't let, any, do let no one deceive you. Don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. See, people that come to you with empty words about what salvation is or isn't, they won't make their case from the scriptures. I can guarantee you that. They'll say things like, well, the, love, the God I know would never. Well, is the God you know the God of scripture? Or is it the God that you've invented? Well, times have changed now. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not changed. Well, the Bible wasn't translated correctly. Okay, tell me which part wasn't. Well, I haven't studied that yet, (laughs) but I heard it once. Okay, no, no, really. Tell tell us all which parts haven't been. Well, uh, it's one verse, and it's in, um, I can't remember the book. That's usually the kind of answers you'll get. Well, God gave us other writings in the Bible, okay? Verify that the early church ever used any of those. And on and on it goes. Their excuses to justify, their their fig leaves, Adam and Eve knew they were wrong, and so they put fig leaves on, didn't they? God doesn't want us to have fig leaves. He wants real repentance. By the way, once you have real repentance, you're not worried about, am I saved or am I not saved? Am I saved or am I not saved? Am I saved or am I not saved? Once you're saved, you walk in Jesus. Amen. You don't sit around worried about it. You actually say, Lord, here I am, send me. You're so now enthralled with the work of the Lord that you're not focused on, I wonder if I can finally give up cussing. You're like, how can I start thanking, right? The last living apostle um, he was John, right? He eventually was banished to the Isle of Patmos. He wrote the last apostolic voice of the church. Let's look close as we come to a close at what John wrote to the body of Christ. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. We'll be wrapping it up. Last apostle living. Paul died before John. All the apostles had died. John was the last one. Lived to be an old man. Very old man. We don't know exactly how old, but definitely most scholars believe into his 90s. The last living apostle, and even at the end of this book, the last thing he writes at the end of this book, the very last words he writes at the end of this book is, little children, keep yourselves from idols. That's chapter 5, verse 21. The last thing he says is keep yourselves from idols because he knows how strong idolatry is in the world. And by the way, people say, well, I don't worship idols. You know, people have different idols today, right? Their jobs, their careers, their hobbies, and everything else. But look what John says by the Spirit to us, the church. Chapter 2, starting verse 1. My little children, there it is again, we're the children of God. My little children, and he would have been the father of the church at that time, the most senior member of the church. These things I write to you so that you may not sin. All these years later, John is still focused on a pure life? Yep. That you may not sin. And if anyone sins, now he's, he's got a compassionate pastor's heart. He says, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Do you know when you walk, you sometimes trip? Do you know when you walk, sometimes break a bone? It still doesn't mean you give up walking, right? You still walk in the right direction. But if anyone sins, aren't you glad you have an advocate, Jesus, when you, when you mess up sometime this week? That's, that doesn't mean you lose your salvation. That means the Holy Spirit pricks your heart and says, let's, let's get this right. Amen. 
We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Verse 2, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, not our good works. He's the propitiation. Not ours only, but for the whole world, for the people that yet haven't come into faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 3, now by this we know him. We know we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word truly, the love of God is what? Perfected. The love of God, there it is again. The love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him also ought to himself, as there's the word again, walk just as he walked. You'd almost think that Paul and John had the same author. Because they do, right? The Holy Spirit, love, walk, Jesus, love, walk, Jesus. John, aging in years, and this is what he tells the church. You're going to have to walk in love. How do you walk in love? You have to walk in obedience. You walk in obedience, then here's the beautiful thing. It changes all the other things in our life. We need to be regularly cleaned and forgiven. He makes that clear. We need to have obedience to Christ, and that's where our confidence in our salvation comes from. We know we know him, he says. We're not wondering, I wonder if I'm saved. We know we know him because we're walking in him. And then the love of Christ is perfected in us. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, A little courage helps more than much knowledge. A little human sympathy more than much courage. And the least tincture of love more than all. Where does that love come from? Walking in obedience to Jesus. And when that love is present, then we get the courage. Then we get the sympathy. Then we get the power to do things that we could never do in our own flesh. The love of God transformed every bit of our life. Are you walking in Jesus? Are you walking in the love of God? Are you being an imitator of the life of Christ? Are you reflecting his truth day by day like the moon reflects the sun? Brother and sister, the Spirit is calling us all. And I pray you're here and obey. Amen.